1: Good afternoon listeners, this is the DOGS Programme, the Australian Council for Defence of Government Schools. We are here to defend and to promote public education. And we have a website at www.adogs.info if you want to find out more about us. And most weeks we put up a press release and we're usually um, up to date with the issues of the day and we're up to press release 690, which is, Betty DeVos, the billionaire dedicated to Christianising education, has been under question in the US Senate. DeVos is one of the nominees the Democrats have zeroed in on in the Senate confirmation hearings. They're hoping that the controversy surrounding her will convince enough Republicans to vote to block the appointment of Trump's education secretary. But so far, no Republicans have said that they will, which is indeed very worrying. And it's also surprising, given her lack of commitment to public education, for one, and her obvious commitment not only to private education but to the involvement of religion and the state. Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Watson question Betty DeVos. She's the billionaire charter school advocate selected by Trump, as you all know, I'm sure, by now. And the Senate Minority Leader, Chuck Schumer, has said in a scathing statement on Thursday last that he plans to vote against President Donald Trump's pick to head the Education Department. Betty DeVos floundered during the confirmation hearing last week, especially under the questioning of Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren, who, as Democrats, took turns questioning her ability to lead the department. DeVos, who's the billionaire from a very powerful Republican family in Michigan, has been dedicated to funnelling money to school choice efforts and away from public schools. And this is what Schumer had to say. Betty DeVos would single-handedly decimate our public education system if she were confirmed. Her plan to privatise education would deprive students from a good public education while helping students from wealthy families get another leg up. I'll read that again, dear listeners, because this is what's been happening in Australia for the last 50 years. In America, they haven't had state aid as we have had it to private schools to anything like the same extent and people have been fighting it. They've been getting it through the voucher system in some states and through the charter schools, which are billionaire schools run for profit at taxpayer expense. But... This is what Schumer says DeVos will be doing. She would single-handedly decimate our public education system if she were confirmed. Her plan to privatise education would deprive students from a good public education while helping students from wealthy families get another leg up. And that's exactly what State Aid has been doing in Australia as we've been becoming more and more unequal socially since the 1970s. And it has been not just the Liberal Party but the Labor Party in this country that is to blame. But earlier in the last week, the Democrats urged the Republicans to schedule a second hearing for them to ask DeVos more questions now that all of her paperwork has been released by the Office of Government Ethics. Although it's unlikely to happen... The committee vote on her nomination was postponed until the end of the month. The President's decision to ask Betty DeVos to run the Department of Education should offend every single American man, woman and child who has benefited from the public education system in this country, Schumer said. Public education has lifted millions out of poverty, has put millions in good-paying jobs and has been the launching pad for people who went on to cure disease and to create inventions that have changed our society for the better. And we can say the same thing, of course, about public education in Australia. Shera criticised DeVos' refusal to divest from companies that she holds a substantial stake in. What's new in American politics in the new post fact era? And there's one in particular that uses biofeedback technology to help improve children's performance in school. Strange. It's all the proof one needs to know that she's in this for herself and not for students, he said. I will vote against her, no, and I will do it proudly. Now Betty DeVos will not only be a disaster for public education in Billionaires Paradise America and through example neoliberal Australia, she will also be a disaster for separation of religion from the state. Her Christian background is peculiar. It's limited to a sixteenth century Dutch Reformed sect. They were called seceders, but unlike the Calvinist seceders in 19th century Scotland, they certainly don't believe in separation of church and state. She grew up in a place called Holland, Michigan, which is a peculiar blast from a sectarian past. And the following research has been done by the Mother Jones Group. This Mother Jones, and I can recommend their their webpage, by the way, they do a lot of research in American politics, and they have indicated that Betty DeVos comes from a previous Calvinist century in which the church dominated both the state and education. For those of you who don't know your theological or religious history, Calvin um, was more extreme in many ways than Luther, and he had a God-fearing state in Geneva. It was a church-run state with Calvin on top, and you were in trouble if you disagreed with Calvin. For example, he burnt Servetus at the stake uh, because he was a Unitarian. Now, according to Christina Rizga, who has done this research we're going to tell you about, On January the 17th, 2007, at the Mother Jones website, and thank you to our member who sent me this material, there were Dutch immigrants from a very conservative Protestant sect who chose the town where Betty DeVos grew up many, many centuries ago. This little Holland in Western Michigan, more than 150 years ago, partly because it was isolated. They wanted to keep American influences away from their people and their orthodox ways of running their community. Many of their traditions have lasted generations. For example, until recently, Holland restaurants couldn't even sell alcohol on Sundays and residents were not allowed to yell or whistle between 11pm and 7am. Actually, my husband would like that. He doesn't like whistlers. But, I mean, whistlers have their rights, I would think. If city officials decide that a fence or a shed signals decay, they might tear it down and mail the owner a bill. So those of you who don't keep your houses in apple pie order, you'd be in trouble in Holland. Uh, Glass clippings longer than eight inches have to be removed and composted and snow must be shoveled soon after it lands on the streets. So there's quite a few people in Holland, Michigan, that have got very strange gestalts. (laughs) Most people say that rules like these help keep Holland prosperous with low unemployment, low crime rates, good city services, excellent schools and Republicans at almost every government post. Well, they'd certainly get rid of anybody who didn't fit in, wouldn't they? It's also where President-elect Donald Trump's nominee for Education Secretary, billionaire philanthropist Betty DeVos, grew up. So um, the Mother Jones people went and found one of her friends who she grew up with and he was a man called Arlen Lanting who is a fellow believer and he was only too eager to talk about his longtime friend who was to be, go to her confirmation hearing. DeVos, as you probably know dear listeners by now, is married to Amway Sian, De, Dick DeVos and the Amway, uh, Amway group of course is a pyramid scheme. His father Richard DeVos is worth more than five billion and is seen as a controversial choice. She is because of her track record of supporting vouchers for private religious schools, right-wing Christian groups like the Foundation for Traditional Values which has pushed to soften the separation of church and state and organisations like Michigan's Mackinac Centre for Public Policy, which has championed the privatisation of the education system. Lanting, her friend, is a tall 75-year-old businessman, investor and local philanthropist, and he's quick to wave off the notion that DeVos has it in for traditional public schools. Betsy is not against public schools, he claims. She does believe that teachers in charter and private schools are much more likely to lead the way toward better education, the kind that will actually prepare students for our current times and move us away from standardisation and testing. Well, they don't believe in standardisation and testing of any sort, but certainly not in any accountability because the whole purpose of charter schools is to make money for those who already have it. But Dick and Betsy have given money to public schools too, they claim. And the question is, what have they given it to in public schools? Because you'll find out that she believes in Christianising the nation. Now Lanting is a very warm and generous host who was quick to point out his favourite Bible verse, which was painted right there on his wall. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. He and Betsy were both raised in the tradition of the Christian Reformed Church, which is this conservative Dutch Calvinist denomination whose roots reach back to the city's founders. They actually went to the same grade school in the city's parallel private school system, which is the Holland Christian Schools, which was first established by members of the church. Like many people that um, the lady who wrote this, Christina, uh, met in Holland, Michigan, Lanting wasn't a Trump supporter initially. He couldn't bring himself, however, to vote for Hillary Clinton. And in the end, he said that Trump is much more likely, listen to this, Trump is much more likely to bring Christ into the world. Well, one wonders what these people's view of Christ, the Christ of the Gospels, actually is. I'm not sure that Christ would be tweeting every day, running the world through tweets, strange tweets. So what are these people about? Their desire is to confront the culture in ways that will continue to advance God's kingdom. Well, they have a right to have this belief that whether or not they have the right to impose it on children in public schools or take over the public school system to do this is actually another question. Mm. For deeply devout people like Van Lanting and DeVos, and there's no question that DeVos is a, is a um, devout lady, that's no small detail. And education plays a key role in their mission. Since her nomination, DeVos hasn't said much publicly about her views on education or whether she plans to defend the separation of church and state in public schools. She's declined a Mother Jones request for an interview, but um, one of her supporters claims that she believes in the legal doctrine of the separation of church and state. Well, I don't know how she could believe in vouchers and believe in that, but still, you never know. Uh, Asked whether Christian schools should continue to rely on philanthropic dollars rather than pushing for taxpayer money through vouchers, Betty DeVos said, there are not enough philanthropic dollars in America to fund what is currently the need in education. Our desire is to confront the culture in ways that will continue to advance God's kingdom. But in fact, according to some people, DeVos has been trying to gut public schools for years. For example, it's not just her that's involved in this, there's also the husband uh, and the father in law. Dick DeVos has said. As we look at many communities in our country, the church has been displaced by the public school at the Centre for Activity. It is certainly our hope that more and more churches will get more and more active and engaged in education. Although the DeVossers have rarely commented on how their religious views affect their philanthropy and political activism, their spending speaks volumes. Mother Jones has analysed the Dick and Betsy DeVos Family Foundation's tax filings from 2000 to 2014, as well as the 2001 to 2014 filings from her parents' charitable organisation, the Edgar and Elsa Prince Foundation. She was the Vice President during those years. And during that period, the DeVos has spent nearly a hundred million in philanthropic giving, and the Prince has spent seventy million. And while Dick and Betty DeVos have donated huge amounts to hospitals, health research and arts organizations, the records show an overwhelming emphasis on funding Christian schools, evangelical missions, and conservative free market think tanks like the Acton Institute and the Mackinac Centre that want to shrink the public sector in every sphere, including education. And so of the $100 million the Dick and Betsy DeVos Family Foundation gave out from 1999 to 2014, nearly half went to religious organisations. So their philanthropic record makes very clear, I mean actions speak louder than words, especially when you follow the money. These people view choice and competition as the best mechanisms to improve America's education system as they think it should be included improved. Overall, their foundation gave five point two million from ninety-nine to twenty fourteen to charter schools funded by taxpayers but governed by appointed boards and often run by private companies with varying degrees of oversight from state institutions. And they gave $4.8 million to, this is US dollars of course, to a small school that they founded called the West Michigan Aviation Academy because flying is one of Dick's passions. And then there was another one, the New Urban Learning an operator that dropped its charter after teachers began to unionise. So um, it's very interesting. Uh, The conclusion that this lady comes to is that you can't understand DeVos unless you go to Holland in Richmond and see where she grew up and what kind of society she actually has come from. And it is very unlikely, she believes, that such a person as DeVos can possibly even understand the needs of poor children. And when she was questioned in the Senate, this became quite obvious, and uh, she she didn't perform over well. So uh, you've got some very interesting material which uh, we will put up on our website, particularly that from the Mother Jones. But the dogs are not the only people, of course, who are very concerned about uh, Betty DeVos. The people uh, in America who have been fighting for separation of religion in the state for many years and have had associations over the years with the dogs The Americans United for Separation of Church and State also have a great deal of concerns about this this lady and we can recommend their website if you want to find more about that. But that's enough for now. Let's have a little bit of music, shall we? Well, there was David Kenseller uh, playing the harpsichord with some Clarembolt uh, on a CD which he has called Elegance. So we hope that you enjoyed that. Uh, and let's get back to what is happening in America. Uh, we will get to Victoria, don't worry. Uh, we'll, we'll trust Robert to bring us back to Victoria a little bit later in the program. But um, I'd like to talk about alternative facts. Uh, and there's a very interesting article that's been written by an Ella, Ellen Lubich, who's a professor of public policy and a frequent commenter, commentator on the Diane Ravitch blog. And uh, Diane Ravitch is a born-again public education person. She, uh, in the 90s, uh, started to uh, take up the neoliberal Ideology, and then she realised what it was really doing. And uh, she has turned full circle and is prepared to take them on in America. But Ellen Lubitsch has been looking at alternative facts. Many of us, she said in this election, have referred to the Trump Anschluss, uh, which is a word that goes back, of course, to Hitler's Germany, as a world of smoke and mirrors. And we were correct. But now we know from the twisted mouth of his hired gun, Kellyanne Conway, that is really not so much calculated duplicity, but rather it's a presentation of alternative facts. Kellyanne says we must look at the news as broad caste, not narrow cast. A whole new political vocabulary has emerged from the Trumpists in our new post-factual world. Veracity is now in the eyes and ears of the beholder. As a student and then a professor of public policy, Ellen learned early on that a fact was considered true when, as a thesis, it was proven by by non-biased investigation. However, we've changed course in epistemology and linguistics to find that we now live in a world where there's a sliding scale of what registers as fact and what is fiction. And either or both can come out in every sentence of the limited vocabulary sprouting from Donald Trump's mouth. As Ellen listened carefully admittedly with tears in my eyes to the inauguration speech of this deplorable new President of the United States and Leader of the Free World, who was standing only feet from four of our past Presidents as he defamed each of them, with his rhetoric about how he finally, for the first time, is giving the nation back to the people. I was amazed at his bizarre gall. His ignorance and his despicable manners to insult Obama, Bush, Clinton and Carter by asserting that they were all inept, uncaring and failing in their duty to America. He vilified them in so many ways that it was mind-blowing and watching their faces, the faces of their wives and the others on the dais, I came to finally understand what a villainous demagogue this new man is, and how dangerous he is, and what is even worse, how dangerous and uninformed his followers are. has read much, and we all have in these past weeks since he won this questionable election, by a fluke of the Electoral College, but without the popular vote – And with the interference of both Russian hacking and Comey's false Clinton report and the New York Times knowing about it all for weeks before the election but choosing not to report any of it. Much has been written by groups of psychiatrists who go beyond his personality disorders like narcissism and megalomania to discuss his potential brain dysfunction and the possibility of dementia, which rules his lies and loss of control, as with the endless tweets at the smallest and most inconsequential of slights. Yesterday, sending his lackey, now known as Afghanistan's Sean Spicer, into the first Formal White House press announcements only to admonish the media for fake reporting on how many people were standing to watch this nonsensical reality show of an inauguration was incomprehensible and will be recorded in the history books for posterity. This man continues to make himself an America, the laughingstock of the planet. Facts on the emerging Russian connection now being investigated by the CIA and the FBI, not only with the Putin hacking of the US election process, but with the years of contact and deals between Trump and Putin and Manafort and the Russian oligarchs who now seem to be bankers to Trump and all of them also possible blackmailers of Trump, and purveyors of films of golden showers, which is a topic most never heard of before this election. All of this boggles the minds of voters and citizens of the United States and is even more terrifying to the other nations of the world which have to deal with his nuclear threats and the angst of being his target if he gets insulted. Ellen suspects his family knows how deranged he is and that's why they have Jared Kushner who's evidently the smartest among them, posted in the West Wing as his closest advisor. Jared strikes Ellen as playing Iago to his father-in-law's madman, Othello. Not only do we Americans have to worry about his little fingers on the button of the cataclysmic nuclear-coded football, but the world now wonders who he will blow up first. Democrats are asked by Republicans to foster unity and support him, to give him a chance. Yet everything he says brings us back to his lack of intellectual stature, lack of political experience, lack of calm judgement and his overarching greed, mendacity and self-aggrandizement. It is not rational to support anything or anyone he recommends for his edicts do mirror the manipulating and false populist claims of tyrants from Nero to Hitler. Well, some of us who are interested in ancient history will remind you that Rome lasted quite some time after Caligula. And Caligula, at least, had a, a sense of humour when he sent his white horse down to the Senate House pointing out how irrelevant they were to him. But this gentleman's speech is about giving the decision-making to the people are almost word for word the speeches of the Third Reich, and they are a page out of his favourite bedside book, Mein Kampf. The Drum family has long been known to consort with others of the underworld like Roy Cohn and their Mafia ties, and most probably the similar Russian mob. Why would anyone think that due to this trumped-up election, Donald has changed from his lifelong playboy, misogynistic, self-serving, highly bigoted persona? And then you have to look carefully at those he has chosen to run America, with him as their leader, their commander-in-chief. Keep wearing pussycat hats and speaking up without fear. Keep Rex Tillerson at ExxonMobil instead of in the role of the U.S. Secretary of State where he will be dropping U.S. sanctions to ensure vast profits for the all-barons. In, American, in in Russia against an aggressive Putin Kremlin which is committing war crimes and keep the ignorant, spoiled, religious ideologue debutante, Betsy DeVos, out of the Department of Education and keep the well-determined defi- bigot Jeff Sessions from being America's Attorney General and send all the rest of this crew of United States oligarchs back to their well-padded nests under the rocks from which they crawled into drumps, daylight, including HUD, Labor, Health and Human Services, et al. What a bunch of overprivileged thugs they all are. So what can you do about it? You can join the over 100,000 people that have signed the Impeach Donald Trump Now petition and get your voice on record. So I thought I would read that. It may not necessarily be about education, but America sneezes and... Australia gets a cold. But that's enough of America. We'll go now go to Robert, who'll bring us back to Victoria and uh, Australia, and uh, <laughs> Mr. Birmingham. Hello, Robert.
2: Yes. Yes. Hello, Jean. How are you going? Hello. Yes, I've been, well, I'm sure, I mean, many people have been listening to what Mr. Birmingham's been saying. He's the Federal Minister for Education, and he was quick to pounce, actually, on some of the PISA results. We've covered over the last three, 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 four, five, six weeks because the PISA results were published in December. Um, now, Mr Birmingham, our Education Minister, um, is doing what a lot of people accuse us of doing. He's cherry-picking some figures. Um, and um, Trevor Cobold um, from the SADAR Schools Organisation has been uh, on his case, Jean.
1: Uh-huh. Go on, Trevor. And I think he got got he gets some coverage in The Guardian too Trevor does who does a very indeed, good job
2: he did indeed and um well I mean I won't quote the article word for word, but um, on his uh, website the dot com dot a u he does say some very interesting things. he basically calls out Simon Birmingham as being misleading in fact highly misleading because what mr Birmingham's saying is that schools since 2003 have a, had a federal funding increase of 50%, and the PISA results have got worse. And said, so if we're giving everyone 50% more than we were in 2003, and the results are results are declining, um, then we shouldn't really be giving any more money to schools because it seems to be a waste. That's there's a lot of argument.
1: there's a lot of disadvantaged schools that haven't seen that 50%. I'm sure <laughs> they've they've they well, had this less. is what
2: Cabell points out, and he points out quite fiercely. Um, with this 50% increase, when you dig down, it's absolutely, absolutely nothing like right that. Mm-hmm. Um, he, Trevor Cabell states accurately that the increase in total government funding, that's both federal and state, per student adjusted for inflation from 2004 to the end of fourteen, was not 50%, it was 4.5%. Uh, that's a fraction of what the minister's claiming, and that's an increase of only 0.5% per year. In dollar terms, let's pull it down to that: 470 dollars per student for the whole period, or around about 52 bucks a year per student. But that's not where Mr. Birmingham's obfuscation ends, because the large part of this 52 dollars a year small increase was actually directed to the private school sector, surprise, which 20% of all disadvantaged students. That's that's the Catholic and independent sectors together. That is to say, eighty percent of disadvantaged students are enrolled in the state school system, and that's not where this money went. Total government funding per student in private schools, adjusted for inflation, increased by three times more than for public schools. That is to say, almost ten percent compared to three point three percent.
1: Now, Birmingham
2: claims. Birmingham claim also ignore a very disturbing trend at the state level. Because state and territory governments, which account for 80% of public funding, um, have cut funding for public schools, while increased their funding for private schools. Funding for student in public schools fell from the state government funding by 3.4%, but increased by almost 6% for private schools over the same time. So between state governments and federal governments, the money's just going to the private schools, not the state schools. Any increase is just being eaten up by those who are already privileged. So he's quoting the wrong numbers to start with. And even then within that, the whole point of Gonski was, as um, you know, its Prime Minister Julia Gillard said, the whole point of Gonski was to have a needs-based funding model. And it's pretty obvious that it's that, that what's happened with the money so far is, I mean, even if you agree with a needs-based funding model, the needs-based funding model is not what's actually happened.
1: Never has been. Never has been.
2: No. The, the wealthy now, have always had this, to be paid off. Hmm. In light of this, there's actually a little wonder that Australia has over those years failed dismally to increase achievement achievement by disadvantaged students. The large majority of them are enrolled in public schools. Now, those... Birmingham also ignore changes in the composition of enrolment that could well account for much of the small increase in total government funding for public schools. That is to say, Indigenous, students with disabilities, and senior secondary school students attract significantly higher funding for students than average. They increased from 24 to 28% of all public school students between 2003 and 2014. Now, what's happened is, of course, that over this period of time, more Indigenous and more disabled and more behaviourally problematic students have, well, I wouldn't say they migrated from the private to the public school system. They've been kicked out of the private school system over the same period of time. Now, this is all in, in the backdrop of the fact that our declining teacher results here in Australia are now a major concern. But within that, there actually has been some improvement in school results that the minister completely ignored and his haste to condemn the fact that This is the minister condemning the system for which he's responsible for for failing. For instance, there's been marked improvements in Year 12 outcomes over the past 10 to 15 years, and indeed in retention rates. Retention rates have increased across the board as well. That is to say, more people are being at school getting educated since 2003.
1: The Indigenous retention rates have actually increased. And of course, we now have a lot of... Very, very articulate young Aboriginal people in Australia. And they're very good activists too. Perhaps they've been getting too much education for Mr Birmingham's liking.
2: So what the figures actually, the figures that Birmingham is actually quoting state the opposite of what he is um, um, contending, which is to say that inadequate funding is a major factor behind the failure to improve the results of disadvantaged students in state schools in Australia and inadequate funding is a major factor behind the failure to reduce the large achievement gaps in education systems across Australia. We've Our just... funding increases have been very small, and when there has been more money pumped in, it's been pumped into the private sector, not the public sector.
1: Robert, we've just been talking about the alternative facts, and over in America you have to draw a distinction between broad caste and narrow caste. Uh, and uh, you have to work out what exactly Mr. Birmingham he might be he might be learning from Mr. Trump about what facts are and what alternative facts are and what is broadcast and what is narrow cast uh, because it sounds as if Mr. Birmingham uh, doesn't understand the old-fashioned uh, view of what a fact actually is. It's a generally agreed upon um, fact which everybody agrees is is truthful and correct and Mr Birmingham is having great difficulty in actually coming to terms with what appears to be fairly simple facts. Do you agree? Well it's
2: no, it's absolutely. I mean, it, it, it comes down to something quite simple. As the Minister for Education, um, I'm sure he's a very busy person, so he gets a lot of numbers and he gets to find out about, supposedly, about what's going on. And so he says, well, look, we've given all this money to improve education and it hasn't worked. So let's stop giving money because the money hasn't worked. Now, for him to actually get up and say that means one of two things. It means that he hasn't looked beyond the cover sheet he hasn't looked beyond the the executive summary it means he hasn't looked beyond the numbers which is which are there and i'm I'm quite happy to have a briefing with him and tell him what's going on um has not looked beyond the big numbers to find out exactly what's going on because he is responsible for the education of all the children of australia he's the education minister now that can be for one of two reasons the first reason would be that he hasn't done it because he is incompetent um, and if he's incompetent, then, of course, um, he should resign or should be forced. He should be sacked, actually, because incompetent people really know that they are incompetent, and so therefore someone else has to take them in hand. And he should be sent away and, and told to think again. Agreed. That's one possible reason for his spouting the, um, the alternative facts um, as he sees them. The other reason, of course, is he's just disingenuous. Um, the, uh, the other reason would be that he knows exactly what's going on, and what's going on is, in fact, what he wants to do. He wants extra money to go to the private school system because that's his political aim. He wants extra money to go to the private school system and for the um, people with disabilities who are almost always enrolled in the school system just to go to hell. I mean, if, if, if that's what he wants because the private school system is in his DNA because of his political affiliation, um, then that is a far more serious problem and that's why he needs to be fought and why he needs to be called out and why people like Trigger Cobalt are so important in the calling out of, 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 of these or patently ridiculous statements. Um, and that's indeed why we have to be broadcasting on 3CR 855MA and i oh, and podcast as well because what he's saying isn't harmless. What he's saying is dangerous. What he's saying is, well, you've money... To, to schools, doesn't matter. We should just stop giving them money. It sounds a bit like the Americans, doesn't it? it? sounds a bit like Betsy DeVos over there in America saying, oh, well, you know, it doesn't really matter. Um, the markets, the, the gods of the market will sort it all out. We'll just have a pot of money and people can come take it off us and, and the market will sort out the education of the children in the US. And I suppose in Australia, that's what we're thinking about here with Mr Birmingham and his big pot of money that doesn't seem to be working.
1: Yes, well, we certainly live in very interesting times, but um, the good news is that you've actually got somebody like Trevor Cobold doing this work for us. Um, huh. And thank you very much, Robert, for communicating his uh, quite, extensive, no, no, quite extensive... I'll, I'll get back uh,
2: on the case and I'll, I'll speak to you again next week. Yep,
1: thank you very much. Well, now we will hear... From America itself, we will hear Bernie Sanders and even more interestingly, Elizabeth Warren and the treatment that they gave Betty DeVos. Uh, the Americans aren't going to lie down under what they think is going to happen to them and nor should we in Australia. But uh, you hear, you're you going to hear it on 3CR. So over to Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren and Ms DeVos.
3: Thank you, Mr. Chairman and Mrs. DeVos. Thanks for being with us and thanks for dropping into the office a few days ago. Thank you so much. Um, Mrs. Divas, there is a growing fear, I think, in this country that we are moving toward uh, what some would call an oligarchic form of society, uh, where a small number of very, very wealthy billionaires control, to a significant degree, our economic and political life. Um, would you be so kind as to tell us? Uh, how much money your family has contributed to the Republican Party over the years,
4: Senator? First of all, thank you um, for that question. I'm again was pleased to meet you in your office uh, last week. Um, I wish I could give you that number. I don't know. I
3: have heard the number was 200 million. Does that sound in the ballpark?
4: Collectively, between yeah, over my the years, entire yes. family, that's po- that's possible. Okay.
3: My question is, and I don't mean to be rude, but do you think? if you were not a multi-billionaire, if your family has not made hundreds of millions of dollars of contributions to the Republican Party, that you would be sitting here today?
4: Um, Senator, as a matter of fact, I do think that there would be that possibility. I've worked very hard on behalf of parents and and children for the last almost 30 years to be a voice for parents and to — voice for students and to empower parents to make decisions on behalf of their children. Primarily low-income children. Thank you.
3: Uh, In your statement, your prepared statement, you say, and I quote, students should make informed choices about what type of education they want to pursue post-high school and have access to high-quality options. Some of us believe that we should make public colleges and universities tuition-free so that every young person in this country, regardless of income, does have that option that's not the case today will you work with me and others to make public colleges and universities tuition free through federal and state efforts
4: senator i think that's a really interesting idea and it's really great to consider and think about but i think we also have to consider the fact that there's nothing in life that's truly free somebody's going to pay for it and so
3: yes you're right and You're so right. Somebody would, will pay for it, but that takes us to another issue. I think, And if, that is, if I may, yeah. and that is right now we have proposals in front of us to substantially lower tax breaks for billionaires in this country while at the same time low-income kids can't afford to go to college. Do you think that makes sense?
4: Senator, I think if, if your question is really around how can we help college and higher education be more affordable for young people as they anticipated actually that wasn't
3: my question my question is should we make public colleges and universities tuition free so that every family in america regardless of income will have the ability to have their kids get a higher education. That was my question.
4: Senator, I think, I think we, we can work together and we could work hard on making sure that college or higher education in some form is affordable for all young people that want to pursue it. And I would look forward to that opportunity if confirmed. Would you
3: agree with me that if there is a mom watching this hearing who makes 30000 $40,000 a year, single mom perhaps, who has to pay ten or fifteen thousand dollars a year for child care for her daughter that that is a burden that is almost impossible uh, to deal with would what are your proposals about making child care universal uh, for our working families? Do you have ideas on that? Do you agree with that idea
4: uh, that that certainly is a burden and while and i I can understand the Uh, Challenge that that family that young mother would face in deciding how to best serve her child's needs Again, I think if we're talking about the future of that child and their education I would look forward to working with you I know we have common ground on a lot of things and we could find ways to work together to ensure that that young mom's Child will have a great opportunity for a great education in the future.
3: There are countries around the world which do provide universal, very inexpensive, or free child care. Would you work with me in moving our government in that direction?
4: Senator, again, I I feel very strongly about the importance of young families having an opportunity for good child care for their children. Um, I'm not sure that it's not a question of 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 an opportunity
3: it's a question of being able very often my Republican friends talk about opportunity But it's not a question of opportunity. It's a question of being able to afford it How do we help somebody who's making eight or nine bucks an hour at a time when we can't raise the minimum wage here because of Republican Opposition, how do we make sure that those moms can get quality child care that they can afford
4: Well, I would look forward to helping that mom get a quality education for their child or their children so that they could look forward to a
0: bright and hopeful future.
4: Thank you very much.
3: Thank you, Senator Sanders.
0: I also understand that the precedent was that President Obama's nominees that came before this committee had all filled out their ethics forms and that those were available before we had a hearing so that we would have a chance to ask questions about them in public. So I'm a little confused about what precedent means here. Uh, Ms. DeVos, many of my Democratic colleagues have pointed out your lack of experience in K-12 public schools but i'd like to ask you about your qualifications for leading the nation on higher education the department of education is in charge of making sure that the hundred and fifty billion dollars that we invest in students each year gets into the right hands and that students have the support they need to be able to pay back their student loans the Secretary of Education is essentially responsible for managing a trillion-dollar student loan bank and distributing $30 billion in Pell grants to students each year. The financial futures of an entire generation of young people depend on your department getting that right. Now, Mrs. DeVos, do you have any direct experience in running a bank? Senator, I do not. Uh-huh. Do you have you ever managed or overseen a trillion-dollar loan program? I have not. How about a billion dollar loan program? I have not. Okay, so no experience managing a program like this. How about participating in one? I think it's important for the person who is in charge of our financial aid programs to understand what it's like for students and their families who are struggling to pay for college. Mrs. DeVos, have you ever taken out a student loan from the federal government to help pay for college?
4: I have not. Uh, Have any of your children
0: had to borrow money in order to go to college?
4: They have been fortunate not to.
0: Uh-huh. Have you had any personal experience with the Pell Grant?
4: Uh, not personal experience, but certainly friends and um, students with whom I've worked. So you have no
0: Hav- personal experience with college financial aid or management of higher education? Mrs. DeVos, then, let's start with the basics. Do you think are protecting federal taxpayer dollars from waste, fraud, and abuse? Absolutely. Oh, good. So do I. Because now we all know that President-elect Trump's experience with higher education was to create a fake university, which resulted in his paying a 25 million dollars to students that he cheated. So I'm curious about how the Trump administration would protect against waste fraud and abuse at similar for-profit colleges. So here's my question. How do you plan to protect taxpayer dollars from waste, fraud, and abuse by colleges that take in millions of dollars in federal student aid?
4: Senator, um, if confirmed, I will certainly be very vigilant. I'm asking you now. How how are you going to do that? You said you're committed. The individuals with whom I work in the department will ensure that federal monies are used properly and appropriately. And I will look forward to working so, with you. So her. you're
0: going to subcontract making sure that what happened with uh, universities that cheat students doesn't happen anymore? No, I didn't uh, say You're it. going to give that to someone else to do? I just want to know what your ideas are for making sure we don't have problems with waste, fraud, and abuse.
4: I, I want to make sure we don't have problems with that as well. And well, if here, confirmed, I will work diligently to ensure that we are addressing any of those issues? Well, let
0: me make a suggestion on this. It actually turns out that there are a whole group of rules that are already written and are there, and all you have to do is enforce them. So what I want to know is, will you commit to enforcing these rules to ensure that no career college receives federal funds unless they can prove that they are actually preparing their students for gainful employment and not cheating them?
4: Senator, I will commit to ensuring that s- institutions which receive federal funds are actually serving their students well. And,
0: and so you will enforce the gainful employment rule to make sure that these career colleges are not cheating students?
4: Uh, we will certainly review that rule. You'll and review see that, it? You and, will not and commit to enforce it, it? And see that it is uh, actually achieving what the, the intentions are.
0: I, I don't understand about... Reviewing it, we talked about this in my office. There are already rules in place to stop waste fraud and abuse, and i don 't understand how you cannot be sure about enforcing them. You know Swindlers and crooks are out there doing backflips when they hear an answer like this. If confirmed, you will be the cop on the beat and If you can 't commit to use the tools that are already available to you in the Department of Education then I don't see how you can be the Secretary of Education. And I look forward to having a second round of questions.
5: We were just listening to Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren tearing strips off Betsy DeVos. You're listening to The Dogs Program. That's all we've got time for this week. But if you want to find out more, visit us on our website at www.adogs.info. Until next week, bye for now. <laughs> I dreamed I saw Joe Hill last night, alive as you and me, says I, but Joe, you are ten years dead, I never died, says he, I never died. Salt Lake City Joe says I am standing by my bed They framed you on a murder charge Says Joe, but I'm dead Says Joe, but I'm dead The copper bosses killed you, Joe they shot you joe says i takes more than guns to kill a man says joe i didn't die Joe